We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. This month of podcasts have brought awareness, conversation, education, and support surrounding childhood cancer awareness. I'm Tamara Crabtree with Oklahoma Family Network, and today's release is a continuation of my conversation with Michelle Gamble about her daughter's diagnosis of AML and their journey as a family together through these hard days. Today, we join the conversation mid-thought as Michelle reflects upon the moments soon after Abby's relapse. Um, so my brother-in-law's a preacher, which happens to be my bre- my husband's brother. And so um, we're there all day and Abby's room just fills up and fills up and fills up. I mean, there's not, there's not even elbow room to get in. And um, so finally they were like, okay, we're going to leave, but we're going to pray. Okay. So um, he comes in and um, one of the nurses, which she was a new nurse, um, and um, she's real bubbly. And so she was doing some stuff. And um, she later told me, she said, you know what? That was the coolest experience that I ever had. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, when Abby's uncle came in there and he prayed. And she said, you know what? It was so hot in there. I was sweating. And I said, it was hot in there because there were a lot of people in there. <laughs> and she said, I know. But it was just the sweetest, most serene prayer I've ever heard. And you all just got so calm. Like it was kind of chaotic before that and everything was just calm. And then after that, it was just like, there was this release, like everything's going to be okay. And I said, you know what? I I felt that. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned that to me because it makes me, it reinforces what I, I felt as a confirmation. So this time around, Abby had uh, three chemo treatments uh, prior to bone marrow transplant. And um, it was kind of like a walk in the park, honestly. Um, she did get sick, like vomiting and um, that kind of stuff, but not that we landed in the um, ICU one time. Um, and that was like during um, prior to transplant, but um, this was between her um, chemo treatments, which we never had done before. Um, And then home health would come out and flush her lines and um, make sure she's doing everything and everything's, you know, proper. Um, She would have to give her, when we were, when we'd be at home, she would have to give herself um, Neupogen shots to bring up her white blood cell count um, so that we could start the next phase of chemotherapy. Um, and then after, after her first chemo treatment, um, and when we got to come home, so it was our senior year. Um, so the first time she was in the hospital, she spent her 16th birthday in the hospital, which we had, a you know, we had a birthday party for and all that. But, um, so she's missing some huge milestones as a teenager. So she missed her 16th birthday. Um, now she's, it's her senior year and she wants to look pretty in the panel of pictures. And so we asked them if we can go home and, you know, when we go home, can we take senior pictures? And they said, absolutely. And we did it in the nick of time because um, 
we were released on a Friday. We started senior pictures on Saturday. Her hair started falling out Saturday night. So then um, because I'm the hairdresser, I get to cut her hair off. She's like, mom, I'm, I'm tired of this. Cut my hair off short. And so I, I did it in a really like cute little pixie cut. And she thought she looked like a boy. And so the next morning she gets up, mom, just shave it off. I can't do this anymore. And I'm like, oh, gosh, you're just going to have to wait. And, and, of course, her dad is just mortified that she's even requesting this. And so um, we actually had family dinner with our family that day. Um, it was on a Sunday. Um, and so I said, let's don't do it until after we get home. And so we had a big family dinner. Um, everybody came. It was fabulous. And um, then we came home and I shaved her head. And then I think we went back in on the hospital at like that next, that next Thursday or something. So we did get to come home in between treatments. So that was good. And she was not miserably sick this time. And then, as I mentioned, she, um, so when we go back right before transplant, we um, decorate her room. Get all decorated by comforters. I mean, the whole nine yards. It looks like her room. Put some wall art up. We start her on. So she has to do like two or three days of chemotherapy. Then she has to do like a rabbit antibody, which is ATG. Um, and it goes in, it fights all the white cells. It just depletes her whole bone marrow. Um, and I think we had to do two days of that, but I really can't remember. And we start that process and she um, has an allergic reaction. And so we have to stop it, send her to the ICU unit. We just spent one night, but it was kind of mortifying again. <laughs> um, the head of the pediatric, um, Nick, I mean, um, intensive care unit comes up and hugs me and says, Michelle, it's going to be okay. We're going to get, we're going to get through this. And, um, and so they were all very sweet um, and kind to us. And, and we only ended up in there one night. So then we, um, everything else was smooth sailing. Like she did her transplant. It just seemed like everything just went so smoothly and so perfectly. And she, the transplant took great. We never had any graft versus host episodes, except maybe one little bitty episode, um, but it was quickly taken care of. Um, we don't have any lingering illnesses um, that are hanging on from any of the transplant um, issues that you could have. And um, we never were on dialysis that last time. Her, her creatinine and her uh, BUN, which meant her kidneys were doing perfect through the whole thing. Her numbers were um, almost normal. Um, we sailed through that. It was a good experience um, as far as good can be with a leukemia diagnosis. So essentially from her freshman year to her senior year, her life was consumed with childhood cancer. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And as 15, I'm just sitting here going, I cannot even imagine starting that world and and trying to figure out um, the friendships and the relationships and how they change. I am curious about you guys. It sounds like you guys are from Ada. Is that right? We're from Paul's Valley. So being from Paul's Valley and all of those trips back and forth and keeping, keeping your job and, and those kind of things. I'm wondering if you could kind of speak to, um, did you just move into the hospital and kind of the balance and relationship that 
Um, did you and your husband switch off times uh, staying with her at the hospital and, and kind of speak to that routine that you guys got, you guys had, because you said y'all were there for four and a half months. I'm just wondering if you could share a little bit about how you scheduled all of that. So I, um, so I was thinking that I was going to go back and forth and work. And um, when they initially told us that she'd be in the hospital for four to six months, I thought, okay, well, I'll just work three days a week. Um, I have to work. I mean, we, we have to have the income. And um, within two days, friends set up a GoFundMe account. And within two or three days, there was some substantial amount of money in there that would last us for months. And I was just floored at that. And so um, I told my husband, I said, well, I'll just, I'll just quit my job. I mean, I, I have to be here with my child. And so I'll stay here. And um, so in the beginning, when things got really rough, um, so my husband went home after that first night that we stayed in the hospital. And then by that weekend, Abby was put in the ICU. And so he came and stayed the full next week with me. And we were in limbo of where we were staying because we, at first we stayed in the Ronald McDonald house for two nights. And then I didn't realize that you could only spend that like two nights there at a time. And so I asked them if I could have another room and they said, no, um, but your, um, oh, your liaison from the hospital come and tell you, you know, they'll, they'll fix you up where you can go. Um, which Toby Keith had just opened up the okay kids corral, um, in February. And so this was March. And so we had a room there. And so what happened was, is I quit my job. I withdrew from my position as a hairstylist in the salon that I was working. Um, we had the GoFundMe account and our community was amazing. They um, threw fundraiser after fundraiser after fundraiser and just kept um, funneling us with money that we needed to survive and, and to pay our, our bills because, you know, now we're down to one income. Um, and then, so my husband, so my husband would come and stay Thursday through Sunday with me and leave on Sunday and then go back and do the same thing, same routine. Um, and I would, um, I had somebody with me throughout the day um, that would sit with me. And then um, our family members would come at night and they would either stay with me or if Abby was really bad, they would stay um, in the ICU unit with her so I could go back and get some rest, which I never really got very much rest. But at least I had a bed to lay my head on at night um, at the OK Kids Corral. And so that's how we did that. And then when we went to um, Bethany, um, I stayed with her all the time, but my husband would come on Friday. And so that was his time to stay with her. So he'd stay with her Friday night, Saturday night, and then I would go back up on Sunday. Um, and so we felt like um, she kind of got the best of both worlds with us being, I mean, we would each have our time with her um, and then together as a family. And um, sometimes it wasn't always easy because sometimes it was hard because, I mean, here you have a 20 year old who's having a really hard time with this all also. And 
she comes up on the weekends because she's in college um, at Ada throughout the week. And she comes up on the weekend. She wants my undivided attention because she needs her mom. And then my husband needs his undivided attention with me because he needs his wife. And I felt like a rubber band being popped all the time. Um, so balancing that out was kind of tricky, but I felt like um, I felt like I kind of did it pretty well, um, as well as I could. And so um, that's how we organized all of that. And then the second time, it was kind of the same thing. I quit my job again and stayed with her. Um, and my husband would come up on Thursdays and stay till Sunday. Um, and, and then being able to come home a week in between treatments doesn't really seem like it's really all that much, but it was, it was a huge deal for us because we got to be somewhat normal as a family. And um, that was building strength and character in all of us um, throughout that week to make it through the next 28 days. I guess I, I just think about Metro, you know, and you've got access to all of these hotels and everything, but when you're spending four and a half months in a, in a facility, a hotel is not financially feasible. Um, and so having resources like the OK Kids Corral and stuff like that is, is definitely a, a great, I guess, resource for families that are going through that. So, mm -hmm. wow. So talk to me a little bit about what you would, what you, what you would say to a family that is newly learning about a diagnosis. What, what kind of encouragement would you tell them and what kind of, because holding on to that hope and you, you talked about speaking um, positive thoughts and, and the negative, keeping the negative out of the room and your faith and how much, you know, relying on our faith and, and God's sustaining love throughout all of this was very important for you. And so I'm just wondering what you would do to encourage a family that's maybe just now hearing a diagnosis and what you would tell them. So first of all, I would say that um, you're not alone. You're not in this alone. You have a group of people who are going to be your army um, and they will stand behind you. And that's, that could be your family and your friends, but now you have this new community and it's not a club that you want to be in, but you're in it now. And so you get to be in this club with all of these former, um, former oncology patients and their families, and they become your backbone now because these are the people that you're going to turn to because you don't know anything and they are full of information. Um, the second thing is, is always have hope because if you don't have hope, you have nothing. Um, and wherever that is with your um, Christian walk or your religious views, um, I think that, that you do need, you, you need to believe in God or um, where, whatever your religious views are, and you need to um, find strength in that and hope. Um, and positive words were a big thing for me because I felt like if I could keep it positive, um, that I wasn't having to fight all the negative things and all the dirty things that were being said. And and that is why um, in the beginning that I kept everybody at bay from my child because she did look horrible. Um, she was swollen. She looked nine months pregnant. Um, then she looked emaciated. Um, 
she wasn't this child that everybody thought that, oh, yeah, that's Abby Shea. And I had several people that um, when they did come up to see her, it was very devastating to them. And they were like, that's not what I was expecting. And I'm thinking, what were you expecting? Because you knew she had cancer. But I don't think um, in the real world, you realize, yes, this child has cancer. Uh, they're going to go through chemo, but you don't know the effects of what is going to happen to that child and um, how their body is going to react to it. And um, I don't think it's very real until you have to live it. It's not very real until you have to live it. And so I was very protective of her and very protective of the people that I let in to be a part of her um, during that journey. And um, so positive positive words um, and words of affirmation were a big thing for me because then if if I could get that going, then that kept me um, that kept me in a positive place. And it also um, redirected um, the doctors and the nurses to stay positive because I think they see so much that it's um, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's really not a big deal to them because they see so much and they have to learn how to um, live with what's going on. And so to me, it would be like, it's not a big deal, Michelle, but it, it is a big deal to me. And so um, I felt like if I could keep everything positive, um, there's a lot. And having said that, there's a lot that I probably didn't know because I told them if you don't have anything positive, don't say it because I don't want to know it if it's not positive. So there's part that I didn't know because her file is thick <clears throat> and it's a lot of information and um, a lot of things went on. And so um, that's why I think that positive um, words are, are a must. How's Abby doing now? Abby is doing wonderful. She is a vibrant 23-year-old um, who's just working a part-time job. At, she actually got into nursing school um, this semester. She'll start in August. And that's been a long road because she went off to um, OSU. She's going to be an animal vet um, doctor. And um, she's wanted to do that since she was little. And so kudos to you, girl. And so she gets to OSU and she spends a year uh, and that, and, and that's another story. Um, she gets to OSU and first clinical, um, in animal science, they're having to, um, rubber up and check this, um, female cow and she gets sick and she ends up in the hospital at, um, OSU uh, at Stillwater with like a severe, um, I think it was like salmonella. It was really bad. And so um, then, it, you know, it got into her bloodstream. Then she got a UTI. And so she ended up in the hospital. So she was admitted in Stillwater to the hospital because of that. And, and oh my gosh, I mean, I guess she's, is she, it, does she have the thought that, okay, well, these are things that we can fix. It's not cancer. <laughs> or is she yes, she, yeah, she thought these are things we can fix. This is not cancer, but she was scared. And because she's so used to a children's hospital that, you know, that was just mortifying to her that she had to 
<clears throat> being an adult hospital, but she survived and she did really well. And then she comes home two and a half years out of OSU and decides that she wants to be a nurse. And so I said, we'll move home and let's put you somewhere else because OSU Stillwater does not offer nursing. And so she started at OCCC um, and she did a year and a half taking classes and applying for nursing school and finally got into nursing school at, um, at Tishomingo of all places. And so now she'll start nursing school in the fall. That is so cool. That is, that is so cool. Does she, does she want to go into the oncology nursing area or is she kind of leaning towards one discipline or the other? She's always said that she wants to do oncology nursing. So we'll see what, what happens. Well, talk about full circle. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. My God. Wow. Just a, a calling in her life that started when she was 15 that she didn't mm -hmm. See coming. So, wow. I think I want to end with, with just your thoughts on Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Um, why is it important to you? Obviously, we've got Abby's story that is so important and uh, bringing awareness with, with her story alone. But what are some things that you do for Childhood Cancer Awareness? And um, how are some ways that you, I guess, serve the community for Childhood Cancer Awareness Month? Well, so I always... Um... I always put on my Facebook pages, you know, um, different things about childhood cancer awareness all through September. Um, and I always wear my gold gold for um, childhood cancer. Th there are so many things that need to be done about childhood cancer. Um, first of all and foremost, um, childhood cancer is, um, it only gets 4% of the national funding. So we are lacking a whole lot. Adult cancer gets the bulk of everything. And I'm not saying that they don't need it, but childhood cancer um, nationally is recognized as rare, that there's not enough of it. And it is not rare. We have 47 cases diagnosed every day and seven cases that are dying children every day. And that is a lot. We... Um, we need more, we need more knowledge out there about childhood cancer and we need more, um, more funding. And sadly, the funding that we do get from childhood cancer, uh, that is not nationally recognized is parents whose children have died from childhood cancer and they build benefits and they go and they raise money and they sock it back into either either Ch Children's Hospital in Oklahoma City or the Children's Hospital that they're affiliated with, with where they live. And I, th I think that's, I think it's very sad. And I think that there has to be more education about childhood cancer and it has to start, it has to start with us. And, and I feel like we have a ton of parents who have, have um, made organizations who are trying really hard, but it, it's going to have to, it's going to have to come from, and this is sad to say, but I, I feel like it's going to have to come from somebody who's a celebrity, like, the, I'm going to use this for instance, um, a few years ago, Blake Shelton um, gave $600,000 to our children's um, hospital um, at JEC, Jimmy Ever Center, for research, and do you know why he did that? 
because he had a cousin that her child was diagnosed with childhood cancer. So it affected him in some way. So um, realistically, that's how we, I feel like that's how we get the bulk of our money for research is because it affects somebody in a particular way, whether it being their child or their, or their, um, some relation to them. And so there needs to be so much more education. So really making it a priority for a, a global community, as opposed to just the, the families who've been affected, essentially. Yes. And, and the other thing is, is, and I tried to get it going here at home, but, um, so, you, you know, everybody does pink out, like pink out here, pink out there. Right. Um, and so when I started talking to my high school principal, I, I said, do, what do you think pink out means? And he said, well, it's for cancer. And I said, it is for breast cancer. That is what it's going to is breast cancer. It doesn't affect your children. And I said, and you think about it. In our school alone, in Paul's Valley alone, when my daughter was a sophomore, she had a student, a friend of hers in her class as a sophomore, who was diagnosed with lymphoma. The next year, we had another child who was diagnosed with a sarcoma. And two years later, three years later, Abby was diagnosed with leukemia. Oh, and there was one other leukemia diagnosis right before her. So we've had four in probably the last, well, in that time period, in the last six years or seven, that's a lot. And I think that when you have that much, you should be educating and you should be fighting and you should be raising money for childhood cancer. And so my thing was, why don't we do um, go for gold and just set one Friday night for childhood cancer and we I just can't make them understand it <laughs> sometimes it feels like you're you're fighting a battle alone in in the world of trying to bring the education and awareness and all of that um and and yet the community who you have fallen in love with that are there part of your tribe and part of your your club as you said you're a club you're part of a club that no one wants to be in and so you've <laughs> got those supports and was that peer support really important to you Yes. Yes. It was extremely important. Having, did you have any mentors in your life that were able to just kind of take you under their wing? And is that something that you hope to be able to do to others? Is, and I'm sure you have done for others. Yes. Yes. So here's the most ironic thing. Um, Jenny Rogers, who worked for Cabot Kids, um, she became part of Cabot Kids because as a freshman, she came down with a form of lymphoma. And ironically, I babysat her I did her mom's hair for years. I did her hair. I did her dad's hair. And she lived a quarter of a mile down the road from me. So when she found out that Abby Shea had leukemia, she was one of the first people that came and saw me in the hospital. And she was, she ushered me through it. And she talked to me and, and helped me. And then that kind of opened up doors for actually, um, the parent of my oldest daughter who her son had lymphoma and then you start finding out different people that know different people that are all of your people they know other people who have been diagnosed with cancer or their child has been died and then it hooks you up to this huge system of people and then and then it's funny because they it, it 
the reason that you ever became friends with them was because your friend in your network knew them or had a friend that knew them. And so then they become part of your network. And, um, and so when Abby, um, of course, when Abby was diagnosed, I had lots of people just popping up and saying different things to me, like, you're not alone. And this is, you know, you're going to get through this. And then, so I, in return, um, Abby and I were huge advocates of that. And so, um, we had people message us after Abby, um, came out of her diagnosis. Okay. And they were like, can you go visit so-and-so, or can you just reach out to them? Or, um, and so we did along the way, we, you know, along the way we would reach out to other people. And, and then there's those people that, um, during her second diagnosis that you, you came to know because you were in the hospital together. And so Abby was a little more vibrant and she was, um, she would want to get out. Um, there was one, one girl, her age around. And so she, um, she, you know, I mean, we became friends with her and her family and I don't know, it just becomes this huge network once you start reaching out to those people and then you start reaching out to other people and it just kind of has these feelers off of it and it, and it just goes wild. Yeah. Just that web of support is just out there and, and it's just knowing how to really tap into that and being vulnerable enough and willing enough to, to mm -hmm. find that. Uh, so, yeah, you did such a beautiful job and it, it, it answered everything. It gave a very clear picture and um, very understanding of everything as far as what that was like for you guys. Um, and clearly it's an emotional journey, even years down the road, you, you still relive it as you tell it. So yes, yes. Not something that leaves you. No, no. And you think it does because you talk about it so much, but you think that you've got it all, you know, and then you start touching on those points and you're like, oh my gosh, that was, then you start reliving it and, and it gets very emotional. <laughs> well, you did a beautiful job. And I, I truly, truly thank you for sharing the story. And, um, and Abby and Abby, now that she's an adult, she, does she, is she okay with you sharing these pieces? Of oh, her yeah. And, yeah. and does she, does she advocate on herself as far as for childhood cancer awareness stuff? She does. And she still reaches out to, um, different people along the way. And Abby, ugh, Abby had, uh, during the second time, she had several of her friends, which were really babies. Um, I mean, they were young that passed away and that was very, um, heart wrenching, um, because she grew up with them in the hospital. And so she's, um, she suffered a great loss, but in that, is this huge blessing that she still shares with others that even though, you know, some, some of us make it and some of us don't. And, and I remember thinking and looking out the window one day, cause I thought, gosh, this is just so hard. And I remember turning around and looking at all the kids in the bone marrow unit. There were probably five, including Abby. And I said to myself, and this was just the most profound, probably one of the negative things that I thought of the whole time, and it was one of us will not be walking out of here alive. And, and then I quickly regained myself and thought, you can't think like that. You have to, you have to stay positive because your mind can go there really quickly and, and just bury itself in a hole. And, and that's not where I wanted to be. And I just remember fighting the whole way for my child every day and speaking positive things and praying over her and, I don't know. I, I always had 
and this is kind of ironic too, but I always had these scriptures that I prayed over her the first and second time. And I remember two different times of two different nurses coming to me and asking me for a copy of that because they were having issues in their own household um, and they needed some, they needed some guidance. And if it's going to work for you, why wouldn't it work for me? And I thought, wow, that's right. Because God is no respecter of persons and what he will do for one, he can do for the other. Yeah. Holding on to those promises. Absolutely. Yeah. This has meant a lot to me just to have this opportunity to sit and, and hear about Abby. And, and I certainly give a shout out to Kayla as well. And, and because yeah. as a sibling of, a, of someone who is a significant diagnosis and childhood cancer, that that's a heavy burden for a sibling as well. So I'm, yeah. but it sounds like she did really well through all of that. She did. She did. She had to have some coercing, but she did. She did really well. And, and she's sometimes will say, mom, it just, she'll say, you, you really didn't say a whole lot. Like if I asked you questions, you really would be kind of evasive. And I did that on purpose because I didn't, I didn't want her to think, oh my gosh, this is really bad. Or I didn't want her to be upset because she's having to, I needed her to focus on college and get through college. And I, and I would tell her periodically, don't quit because when she comes out of this coma, she'll say, are you stupid? Why did you do that? <laughs> um, and so um, I needed her to focus on what she needed to get through. And, and to me, um, I think that was triumphant on her part to get through college, to graduate college um, during all of that. And I, I commend her all the time. Because I, I think about how strong she was to uh, sustain where she was at. She, you've got two strong daughters, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The year after Abby um, got her transplant, Kayla, um, my oldest daughter, had been on the um, Be The Match. And she was called in to donate um, for a little girl who had leukemia. Um, the year after Abby um, got her transplant. So I think that that's pretty amazing too. One of my children got to give life and one of my God lives. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.